Well, good morning. Do you all have your pancakes this morning or <laughs> making plans after service now as we speak? <laughs> well, we are continuing our series this morning on rhythms. And in the last few weeks, we've been looking at not just the personal rhythms of devotion and such that we've been talking about earlier. Excuse me. Thank you. But uh, we've been looking at the individual parts of the Twin Cities strategy as we enter our third decade of existence here as a church. So you can see that strategy. It's printed right there at the top of your program um, in your your message notes if you want to take a look at those. Also, we're going to put them up on the screens because I want us to read them out loud together. Let's do that. This is our strategy as a church. Let's read it together. We glorify God as we gather together, grow our faith, give of ourselves, and go share Jesus with our world. Well, today we're going to be focusing on the last part of this strategy. That's the concept of going out and sharing Jesus with our world. Now, our goal today is that we, should, that we would get hit with some information and some motivation, both of those things. My prayer really is that God would do these two things, that he, that he would fill your mind perhaps with some new information, some concepts that will help you understand God and his, his heart more specifically, but also that he would fill your heart and your soul with passion. So there's a little head knowledge and a little heart change as well that we're looking for today. And I want to get started, and I want to tell you I'm excited about this morning. Now, I know sometimes up front I'm pretty laid back and casual, and I kind of, you know, you lose your attention because I'm so boring up here. But today we're going to try and ramp it up a little bit, give you a little extra energy, because this is an area of passion, a growing area of passion for me, this concept of outreach. And, of course, it being the reach pastor, that makes good sense. Well, if you want to pull out your message notes, again, we're not going to fill out blanks for a little while, just true confessions here. We have some introduction stuff that I want to stir the pot a little bit. So if you want to take some notes, jot some verses down that I read, or anything that comes to mind, you're welcome to do that wherever you can find some space. I promise we'll get to the fill-in-the-blank parts as well, okay? Today I want to start with this concept, this amazing concept of hope, looking at this idea of hope as we get going with, the, with this idea of going into the world. This simple yet profound truth is that we have hope in Jesus Christ. Now, it says in Psalm 65, 5, it says this, You faithfully answer our prayers with awesome deeds, O God, our Savior. You are the hope. You catch that? You, God, are the hope of everyone on earth, even those who sail on distant seas. I love that picture. You are the hope of everybody, both here but also people around the world, people like that are sailing on boats that I've never met way, way over there somewhere. You, you are the hope of everyone. And then in Matthew 12, it's quoting the Old Testament, beginning at verse 18. And God the Father is speaking about Jesus, and he says this. He says, look at my servant who I've chosen. He is my beloved who pleases me. I will put my spirit upon him, and he will proclaim justice to the nations. He will not fight or shout or raise his voice in public. He will not crush the weakest reed or put out a flickering candle. Finally, he will cause justice to be victorious. And his name, his name will be the hope of all the world. Not a hope, the hope of all the world. Now, as you look at this word hope that's here, I need to explain something. See, this word hope is used in a very different way that we use it contemporary, in, a, in a contemporary sense. We use it different today than we read about in the Bible. Uh, today, we use it in a way where we often are saying, I hope when we really wish or even pray for something and maybe even an unlikely miracle. You may say, I hope the Giants win the World Series again this year, you know. Now, now that's a wish, that's a hope, perhaps a bit of a dream, depending upon what you think. But, but at least, at least in that statement, you have more hope than a Cubs fan, right? 
Now, some of you may be baseball fans, many of you not, but the last time the Cubs, someone who says, I hope the Cubs win the World Series, the last time the Cubs won a World Series was, wait for it, 1908. Okay, 103 years of hoping, 103 years of futility. That's just painful, okay? You know, you may call it hope. Most people would just call it ridiculous, you know? Hope away, people. Or how about the use of this hope? I I hope I win the big lottery. Not real likely, is it? If it was, there'd be a lot more rich people playing the lottery, don't you think? It's there. Sometimes our statement of hope expresses a desire of our heart. But again, it's rarely something that we can feel certain about or something that we can expect. We may say, I hope we get a lot more rain and snow this winter. Or you may say, you know, I hope my son does well this year while he's away at school. Now, now these things may happen, and they may not happen, but I can always hope, right? I just kind of throw it out there. It's a wish. It's a plan. Maybe it's a dream. But here's the deal. You need to catch this. Hope in the Bible is very, very different. There, it's almost always this. It's confident, sure expectation. It's certainty. Very different than how we use it. It says in Romans 8, 23 and 24, it says, And we believers also groan, even though we have the Holy Spirit within us as a foretaste of future glory, but we groan because we long for our bodies to be released from sin and suffering. Oh, gosh, I can't wait, right? You know, we too wait with eager hope for the day when God will give us our full rights as his adopted children, including the new bodies he's promised us. We were given this hope when we were saved. And then catch this. If we already have something, we don't need to hope for it. You see the use of hope there? And he goes on to say, we have this hope. Not that I hope that it happens. Maybe it will. It for certainly, it for sure will happen. It's going to happen. We just have to wait. And, and the Bible says we have hope In Jesus, we can hope in God and all his promises. It's not a long-shot possibility. It's a done deal. We get to wait for it sometimes, but it's certain, and that is hope. And the verse ends by saying, you know, if we have something, we don't need to hope for it. We already have it. So it's something that's out there. It's coming for sure. God guarantees it, and so we hope with certainty. Now, we have hope in Jesus We have hope of new life and eternal life. We have hope that he's going to continue to change us to be more like him every single day. Hope that he's using whatever trials we now face to make us stronger and wiser and better. Hope that God and good will triumph over evil forever and ever. And we should be excited about all that hope. I mean, that's a jump up, get excited, shout and do a little dance, you know? Woohoo! We have all those hopes and more. Not things that we hope, we wish we dream about happening that might happen, things that absolutely will happen. And in fact, it's going to keep me going today, step after step, because I know those days are coming. Woo! And I got a woo. <laughs> a second service woo is a good thing. <laughs> Our hope isn't just, folks, while we're here in church, though. It isn't just a church moment. It goes with us 24-7 everywhere we go. We should be so thankful that, for the hope that we have in Jesus that we bring our hope to the world, a hope that starts developing and we understand it better here, but it doesn't stay here. We can bring it into the world. It's the only sure thing in our lives, if you think about it, more sure than our government, more sure than our economy, our jobs, the weather, our own emotions, the price of gas, nine cents more at Arco since last night when I drove by it than when I drove to church this morning. Someone's doing a midnight price up. More sure than that, folks, more sure in a big way. And it's worth rejoicing over, not the price of gas, our hope in Jesus Christ. 
Here's an example from the Bible. Jesus is coming into Jerusalem the week, the Passover week, the week before he's crucified. It says, as Jesus was drawing near to Jerusalem, the whole multitude of his followers began to rejoice and praise God with a loud voice. Loud voice. It's there. There's praise for all the mighty works they'd seen. And they were saying, blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and on earth and glory in the highest. And, and this is going on. This is Palm Sunday, if, if you're familiar with the time. And some of the Pharisees, though, in the crowd who didn't like Jesus, religious leaders, they said, teacher, rebuke your disciples. This is so inappropriate, basically. And Jesus says, I tell you, if, if these people were silent, the very stones, the rocks would cry out. What a beautiful moment. I love the picture that Jesus gives these religious leaders. If the people weren't shouting their praises to God for me, the rocks would be shouting my name. I went, inside, I went outside and I grabbed a rock that, that looked peculiarly shout-worthy. And, um, and sure enough, he was, he was ready to go with his voice, voice here saying, here's a rock that, that gets it. You understand? Here's a rock that understands. Remember from Matthew 12, Jesus' name is the hope of all the world, of all the world, whether they know it or not. And you know it. And you know it. You've heard it. And you understand it. And with that certainty of that hope, not I wish, but a certainty, even something as hard and as dumb as a rock knows that Jesus is worth praising. And if you don't do it, it's going to do it. <laughs> and Jesus, I guess, can use rocks, can't he? <laughs> I'm going to put that there as a reminder. He's shouting at you. <laughs> the problem is, though, everybody, for, for many people, if they don't come to church, they have a better chance of seeing and hearing about Jesus from the rocks than they do from us. I know we were excited a few seconds ago. We are laughing about rocks with big mouths, you know, and celebrating the hope of Jesus with a woo. <laughs> it, was, it was a great church moment, wasn't it? You know, but, but things kind of grind to a halt. At least sometimes they do. At least for some of us they do. Maybe for many of us. This church moment stays a church moment, and we check our enthusiasm at the door on the way out to our car. It just stops right there. On with real life now, right? <laughs> I hop or whatever else. <laughs> We can laugh and celebrate at church, but that, but that stuff doesn't really fly out there in the real world, does it? I mean, does it? The sad truth is we're sometimes way too busy, too afraid to offend, too concerned about being politically incorrect, too afraid of people thinking we're strange, that we stuff our hope deep in our pocket once we leave church. And then the rocks and the trees have to get busy for people to see and hear Jesus. And it shouldn't be that way. Well, John, I don't want to be one of those weird IHOP pamphlet people, you know. Okay, I think there's a better way. I think there's a better way. But I also think that if our hope of the world hearing about Jesus is going to be left to the rocks and trees, that we're missing something. Because God wants to use us, living and breathing, blessed and created by God for this very purpose. And we have a calling. We have a calling. It shouldn't be that way. The final compelling point of our Twin Cities strategy is to go share Jesus with the world. But let's see what that really means. Okay, here's a chance now we're going to move into your outline and fill in some blanks if you've been waiting for that. Um, I invite you to open your Bible if you have it to 1 Peter chapter 3. It's way towards the back of your Bible there, one of the, one of the final books of the, books of the Bible. I want you to turn there if you have it because we're going to walk through it from 1 
Peter chapter 3, starting at verse 13. A few verses there and look at what it says about how to go about going. Now, this is an important passage because Peter wrote the book of 1 Peter. And Peter, if you remember, if you know him, he was the bold apostle, the big, loud apostle, sometimes a foot-in-his-mouth apostle, right? The one who overcame some big-time fear, big-time fear in his early life to eventually be used by God to lead tens of thousands of people to Jesus. In fact, Jesus said, I'm going to start my church with you, on you, you know? He gives us some helpful tips on how to go into the world for Jesus. So, so let's see what this concept of going is really about, okay? So going is about, first of all in your outline, going is about being courageous. It's about being courageous. And again, 1 Peter 3, starting at verse 13, says this. As you feel courageous, the verse says this. Who is going to harm you if you are eager to do good? But even if you should suffer for what is right, you are blessed. Do not fear what they fear. Do not be frightened. Peter's saying, you might be frightened, you know, because there is some persecution. In fact, persecution is going to happen. You're going to get some hassles for sharing about Jesus. And he admits the fact that standing up for Jesus can be intimidating sometimes. He remembers himself betraying Jesus three times, denying Jesus three times, excuse me, right as Jesus was being tried, you know, the, right before he was crucified. And that, that's vivid in his mind. But he's saying, don't be frightened. Don't be frightened here. He says that we may even suffer real persecution for simply doing good in Jesus' name, and we experience that. It's not popular to be a, a big-time follower of Jesus Christ. But even if you feel fear, here's the key. Be courageous. Does that sound like a contrast? Does that sound like two opposing things? Even if you do feel fear, still be courageous. You know, it's been said that courage is not the absence of fear, but the choice to overcome fear and take action. You catch that? Courage, courage is not the absence of fear. Fear can be there, but courage is the choice to overcome fear and take action instead of allowing fear to paralyze you. When fear emerges, don't clam up and run. Instead, admit the feeling. It's there. I'm scared. I, I, you know, I love the eyehoppers. You know, they're afraid. You know, go ahead and smile. But at least they're out there. They're acting on it, you know. Admit the fear, but then choose to do what God calls us to do in spite of the fear that you feel because he calls us to do it, right? Well, second, going is about being fully led by Jesus. First of all, being courageous. Going is about being courageous, but second, it's about being fully led by Jesus. Now, the next thing Peter says is key because he just said be courageous, but before he gives any other instructions on what he wants us to say or to do, he gives us instruction, okay? He stops and goes, but in your hearts... Set apart Christ as Lord. It's 1 Peter 3, 15, the beginning. In your heart, set apart Christ as Lord. Peter says, before you take any steps of action, look inwards and make sure that Jesus is far and away the only Lord and the only leader of your heart. Set him apart from everything else that threatens to try to lead your life and allow him to lead you. It's really the only way that you have a prayer to actually do what he calls us to do. Here again, we've been talking about it off and on for the last year or two, this concept, this understanding that God needs you to allow him to do it all. Stop working so hard and let him become all of you inside of you and allow him to motivate and all those things that are there. Being fully led by Jesus means taking his priorities and his values, his purposes as your own. It starts on the inside before you even think about making a difference on the outside. That's what, that's what Peter is saying here. This acknowledges that Jesus is the power and motivation behind everything you do. You can't do it on your own. But if in your heart you set apart Christ as Lord, push everything there and say, he's set apart, he is going to be the Lord, the leader of my life. 
Now all of a sudden, his values, his priorities, his purposes start taking control and start running my life. That's a good thing. And now I can do the next thing, the third thing. The third going is about, it's about being ready, being ready always. According to 1 Peter 3, being ready. Going is about being ready always. You're ready to overcome fear with courage. You have Jesus firmly seated on the throne of your life. And Peter says in 1 Peter 3.15, the second part, he says, in your heart set apart Christ as Lord. Then always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. There it is. There's that hope. Great, right? No, he says, always be prepared, always be ready to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. And there's that hope. There's that wonderful thing. Be ready at all times to tell anyone and everyone about the hope that we got so excited about earlier. Sometimes be a little bit prepared to maybe share a little with somebody, one of those people that might talk to you a little bit. It's not that way, is it? All those little wishy-washy stuff. It's just be there. Be ready all the time to everyone, anyone who asks you, because if you have the hope, it's time to bring it out and share it. You're only going to do that if Lord's set apart is the, if Jesus is set apart as the Lord of your heart, right? We just said that, and he'll give you the courage there too. Well, to do that, it's going to take two things. It's going to take preparation and commitment, to set apart, excuse me, to be ready always is going to take preparation and commitment. You see, you actually have to get prepared. <laughs> preparation means you got to prepare, and, and, and that takes work, okay? Practice and preparation. You need to practice and prepare so you can clearly articulate what Jesus has done for you. And then you have to make the commitment that, you'll, that you actually will give the reason behind your hope every time. Now, I spend a, a, a fair amount of time, maybe 30 to 40% of the Journey 401 class that I get to teach, we spend 30 to 40% of our time actually helping you prepare so that you can give a clear and compelling and relatively short story about what Jesus has done for you and how to tell people about Jesus in a very non-threatening way. Because that's a very, very important thing, and I want to help you in that class prepare you. But beyond preparation, it's the commitment part, because you could be prepared, and then God brings the opportunity, and you're like, mm, maybe next time, Right? It's not next time. It's every time. Always be prepared and always be ready to do it. Remember, Jesus is on the throne, so he'll help you, you know, in this process. But you have to be ready. That's what we're called to do. Well, fourth, Peter says about going, he says that going is about being gentle. About being gentle. This is where I hoppers kind of were losing it a little bit there. <laughs> our, our drama sketch. It goes on to say again in 1 Peter 3, he says, But do this with gentleness and respect keeping a clear conscience so that those who speak maliciously against your good behavior in Christ may be ashamed of their slander. You see, you can offer hope to those who don't know Jesus, but delivering it with a hammer, it feels more like you're offering hurt than hope, right? I mean, just slamming it there. The world really is parched, and it's thirsty for the water only Jesus can provide. But if you just crank up the fire hose in your enthusiasm, you're going to scare them off or drown them, you know? Here you go, you know, and you're wiping them out with this flow. Okay? Somewhere there's got to be a way to give some thirst without blowing them off, you know, blowing them away with the fire hose. But, but now let me give you a caution. You have to be careful. Because sometimes we get so afraid of offending, flooding people, that you fall big victim right to where we started, the first point of this passage, and we're not courageous. Remember what we said. Don't be afraid to offer hope, but do it gently with respect. John, you, you said be courageous to do it. Okay, set, on, set apart my Christ as Lord and always be ready. Always be ready. Okay, I'm ready. Oh, but I got to be gentle. Well, if I'm gentle, then, ooh, I, I don't want to offend. And then we go right back to being so afraid of offending that we don't say anything or do anything. Oops, where do we start? We got to say something and do something. Remember our friend The Rock? He's saying, please don't make me yell. I don't have a great voice. 
It's kind of gravelly, sorry. Uh, yeah. <laughs> so courage says we're going to do it. It's just that we're going to do it in a gentle, respectful way. So we're not going to smash and bash. Well, here's how we're going to seek to go as individuals and, and as a church into the world with the hope of Jesus. We take this First Peter 3 passage, some of these tips that, that Peter gives us, some of these instructions from God, really. And, and then how are we going to do that? These are the action points of our church strategy for going. And we continue, Lynn, in your outline. On, in your outline. It says, we go together by, first of all, sharing the message of Jesus with our family and friends. Sharing the message of Jesus with family and friends. Pastor Ron read one of these two verses, the, the second half of this passage, a few minutes ago during his time up front. But I want to read it. It says, God was in Christ, reconciling the world to himself, no longer counting people's sins against them. And he gave us this wonderful message of reconciliation. Impossibly separated, perfection from imperfection, light and darkness. And God says, wait a second, I'm providing a way for us to have relationship again, for your imperfection to be removed and forgiveness given so that you can have a close relationship with the God who created you in love. You. And, and then he says, we are Christ's ambassadors. We get to tell people about it. God is making his appeal through us. We speak for Christ when we plead, come back to God. Circle that word speak there. That's pretty important. That's pretty important. We have to speak to do that. We have to tell people about it. That's a part of it. Now, our point here, number one, says sharing the message of Jesus, and that's a verbal part of Jesus with our family and friends. I say family and friends because these are people that you're already close to. And when you have a relationship built with, that's very often when the verbal part might be difficult, but when it actually works. You have a relationship, and so there's a, there's a, there's a validity there to your relationship that allows speaking to happen. And so we talk about speaking here. We have to be ready to do that. Second, we go together by sharing the compassion of Jesus with our community. By sharing the compassion of Jesus with our community. Okay, we started with, with speaking, family and friends, and now we have compassion Jesus with our community. Uh, in point when we talked about verbally sharing Jesus with those we have relationships with, and that's really important, but, but in order to impact our community as we start casting the nets a little wider, in order to earn the right to have our voices heard by those around us, we have to show the love of Jesus in real physical ways. It's a part of earning, really, deserving the right to be heard. Now, Hebrews 13, 16 says, and don't forget to do good and to share with those in need. Don't, don't forget these things. Don't get so busy with your religiosity that you forget to share with those in need and do good. These are the sacrifices that please God. And then in James 1.27, it says, Pure and genuine religion in the sight of God the Father means caring for orphans and widows in their distress and refusing to let the world corrupt you. And those are two powerful verses that say, Identify the people in your world that truly, truly are in need and do something about it. You know, it's been said that people don't care how much you know until they know how much you care, right? Have you heard that? If not, remember it. They don't care how much you know until they know how much you care, and it's largely true. And I believe that to be truly effective in our community around us, um, we have to kind of return to kindergarten. <laughs> you ready for that? Now, my fifth is starting kindergarten next year, so for the fifth time I get to walk through kindergarten here as an adult. And one of my favorite parts that we get to help our kids get ready for is show and tell right? That intellectual time of show and tell. It's a good thing. Remember how much fun that was or was kindergarten too, too long ago? Sorry. Well, we get to do that again and in that order. Listen, check it out. We show the love of Jesus by helping, by serving, even sacrificing for others in need. And then once people can see our authenticity, our integrity, our integrity even our supernatural love on display that God gives us, 
then, after we show them, then we can tell them about our hope in Jesus. We can tell them what a huge difference Jesus has made in our lives, and and that's the only real reason we can serve the way we do, because he's changed us for the better, right? It's show and tell all over again. It works in kindergarten. It works today as an adult with Jesus. I'm going to show it, and and that, that earns the right to be heard. Wow, your life is different. Why are you doing this? Well, let me tell you why we're doing this. I had a chance last week. I took my family down to Folsom area, and we did some odds and ends, and on the way back, um, we were driving in our van, and with five kids, and I and my wife, seven passenger van, we're full up. But out of the corner of my eyes, we're driving down this busy road, moving fast. Um, I see this man. It's like here, and then we're by, and it looks like he's almost tottering. Is he going to fall into the road? And then towards the bushes, and almost like he's stumbling, and he looks old. But I'm a runner, and he also looked dressed like he was out running. And, I almost, and so I turned to my wife, and you know, moving 45 miles an hour, now we're, we're gone. And in the next 20 seconds, I'm like, did you see that? I, I was, that a, was he in trouble? Do you think, was he falling into the, well, I didn't, and, 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 and you know, we're on our way home, and a little bit of a schedule, but we, we got to turn around. No U-turn, no U-turn, you know, good old Folsom area. Well, I mean, a lot of places have it, but it happened to be a spot, you know. Finally find a spot to turn around. It takes us maybe a couple minutes, and we come, drive, 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 drive. And as we're now driving back, center, center divider here, over here, sure enough, there's a man down there, kind of half in the bushes on the sidewalk, and he looks like he's in trouble older guy, so we now have to drive around, pass, 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 come, turn around, find another spot to turn around, and now I know I can't park there, busy, I got to turn into a side, and what, okay, kids, see ya, mom, hang on with the kids, and I go running up the road to see what this guy, well, I go there, and this guy's got blood all over him, he's an 85-year-old man who wasn't running, he was walking home from a place very far away to his home, which was still far away, and and hadn't eaten or drank enough. He almost fell in the street, pitches into the bushes. His hat's still in the bushes. I go in there to get it. He's scraped up and whatever. He's kind of almost not coherent. I get his name, and I'm like, can we drive you to your house? And oh, at first I thought he was going to say no, but he said, yeah. We bring the van around. We get him in. Oops, we don't have a seat. So Debbie, my wife, goes and kind of sits on the floor in the back, and he sits up front, and we got blood on our seat. My kids afterwards, when they left, did he get blood on our chair? I said, yeah, he did. Well, we get his story, 85-year-old man. He was helping at a, at a homeless thing down the road, and we turn around and drive him over. But you know what? It would have been the easiest thing in the world just to do it, get to know him a little bit and drop him off and maybe say, God bless you as he left. But good old, my mind, and maybe even, of course, this was a week and a half ago, my mind goes to, what is this all about? Yeah, we got to help, but, but I've, we've earned the right. You know what I mean? In a sense. And, and so I said, he said it for the fourth time while we're driving, thanks again for stopping. I said, you know, my family and I love Jesus. I didn't tell him I'm a pastor because it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. I said, my family and I love Jesus, and, and he loves us, and because of that, we just love helping because he's, he's, he teaches us to, to love others because of how much he loves us. And something like that. You know, it's two or three or four or five sentences like that, and we had a little bit of a dialogue there, and then we dropped him off, and the kids said he bleed on our seat, and yeah, yeah, he did, you guys, but you know we had a chance not only to show the love of Jesus, but maybe plant a seed or water or whatever in this guy's life who's going, those people flat out said they did that because of Jesus. What? And it was a teaching moment for me and my kids to say, see how easy it would have been to not stop, because we were busy, and then when we stopped to not speak, because it just would have been easier, and no expectation, but to go ahead and take that step and do that, to show and tell. You see how we can do that? Now, there was in a one-shot, sh- short, instant deal. If you're, if you're helping in something in an ongoing way, build, build up a relationship. Now, I don't know what's going to happen to this man. That's in God's hands. You know, what, what, you know he's physically going to be okay, but what God's going to do in his heart and life, I don't know. But when we're showing people consistently and sharing with them, 
We're leading people to Jesus and into the kingdom of God and to eternity. It's a wonderful thing. Third, we go together by sharing the love of Jesus with our world, by sharing the love of Jesus with our world. See, after Jesus rose from the dead and he spent some time with his followers, he gave them some instructions in Acts 1. And in Acts 1, verse 8, Jesus says, you will receive power, I like that, when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. And you will be my witnesses. Uh, You'll be my witnesses telling people about me everywhere. There's another every, darn it. (laughs) In Jerusalem, throughout Judea, in Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. You see, Jesus said, yes, love and share with your community. That's important, but don't stop there. Go out to those a little different from you and a little further away and and love and share with them too. But don't stop there. (laughs) There's a whole world of people out there that need help and the hope of Jesus. And I'm calling you to do your part to reach the very ends of the earth. Now, not all of us are called to leave our Nevada County world and, and move to North Korea or Africa or China or Iraq. Some of us are. But we are called to do something. Every one of us is called to do something. And God has called us to ask the question, Lord, how would you have me impact the world, even in a small way, even at a small level? Maybe it's something as simple and yet as powerful as prayer. Maybe it's some regular or even one-time financial giving to to, to some proven need. Maybe it's going or checking out a short-term missions trip. I don't know what it is. But it's a part of God's call to you, and it's a part of God's call to this church. Now, we're going to listen to a song right now, speaking of the urgency of our going out into the world, the need to do that, and the decision and the commitment to do that. And as we do that, I want you to pull out um, of your, of your program there this black and white two-sided uh, card. I want you to pull this out and take a look at it. It's an insert. And, and as you look at both sides of the card, I want you during the song to see if God is maybe calling you to engage with a new going ministry, a new ministry that is involved in taking the love of Jesus into our community in some powerful way. And after the song, I'm going to talk a little bit more about it as we wrap up. But let's listen closely to the words. That's making some noise. The rocks didn't need to be saying anything, did they? Did they? Take a look. Um, we don't have time to go through these in detail. I got to tell you that my heart gets passionate about every single thing listed here. And maybe, just maybe, God's calling you to connect and not just connect, but to engage in a ministry. Uh, there's other ministries that aren't listed here that you could you can get involved with. But here's a bunch that are either our ministry partners or in-house teams. That every single one of them, if you took the chance to connect with them, call them and say, "I'd like to serve." would do backflips and be so thrilled to have you get involved and you could truly take the love of Jesus into the world and look for opportunity to share as well verbally. Um, I guess my prayer on this is this. Um, By the way, this isn't a check off the box and turn it in card. This is a you take it card and take responsibility and you make the call. You do that. So this isn't a, a turn it in thing for us to count numbers and try and hound you about it. It's up to you. But since I'm not gonna know how many people checked off what, where, I'm looking forward in the next week or two. My prayer, my hope, is that I get a bunch of emails and phone calls from a bunch of ministry leaders or community ministry partners saying, Pastor John, I can't believe the amount of phone calls and emails that I'm getting from people saying, how can I serve? How can I serve? It's great. I almost don't know what to do with them all. Wouldn't that be awesome? I'm looking forward to it. That's my hope that happens here. It's you saying I'm going to commit and I will go. I love the, in the, the bridge of this that song. I want to live for you. I want to live for you. Go where you lead me. I want to follow you. So wanting to do it and actually doing it, that's, that's what it's about, isn't it? Let God lead us in that way. Would you pray with me? 
Father, you've stirred up our hearts a little bit, and I pray that the, the heart stirring would lead to action. Father, that the fear would be overcome with courage that will lead to action. God, as we understand that you've called us to impact our world, not because we have to, but because we get to, because if we won't, it's going to be the rocks and the trees, Lord, making the noise. Oh, God, we have a beautiful story to tell of a changed life in Jesus. Thank you for doing that for us and giving us the privilege of sharing and showing. In Jesus' name, amen.